behind every great design, behind every great collection, there is a narrative. Try to get to know the narrative of that designer. Hi guys, welcome back to You Have to Wear Something. I'm sitting here with an amazing woman that I'm very excited about. It's February 1st, 2020. Happy Black History Month. For those that you, of you that don't know, I am a black woman. I am black on the inside and the outside. And I'm here with Dechelle McKillian. Did I say that correctly? Yes. Yes, of Gallery LA. Mm -hmm. um, and I witnessed... Um, her greatness during a pitch at the Riveter. The Riveter is a female forward um, co-working gathering space um, here in LA. And I was in the audience and all it took for me to get really excited was, okay, she was black. So first of all, she's pitching and she's black and she's a woman and it's for fashion and it's for sustainable fashion. Just so many boxes checked, got my blood boiling, going, heart pumping. And I am, I'm just so glad. So thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Um, we are in her store. Her store smells like magic and Palo Santo mixed together. I guess black girl magic. And um, the row in downtown LA, if you haven't been just in general to the row and specifically to her store, Gallery LA, I'm just going to plug for the plug and say, you need to come. It's immaculate in here. There's good vibes. Um, there's um, a pup named Domino and... It's just a whole feeling. Now, it takes a while to get here, right? Yes. You're actually from LA, born and raised. Born and raised in LA. That's yes. just One weird. Of those rarities. You're not from. <laughs> you're not from ten places and decided to act and model, and then, and then come, come to, to LA. LA. Born and raised in LA. Excellent. Um, my parents, my mom side is from Texas. Okay. And they came, like my mom came to LA proper when she was like 10. And I think my dad was born in LA. Um, like my dad's side of the family always like lived in Venice. Oh, oh my God. So Venice was wild, right? Yes. <laughs> I think that, I think that song Welcome to the Jungle is about Venice. <laughs> oh, really? That's what I heard. Um, about how crazy it was. Um, it's still kind of crazy, but now it's like a tourist trap. Mm -hmm. But um, it still has its, um, you know, bohemian. Let's call it bohemian vibe. Yes, it's vibe. funny that you said that. <laughs> bohemian vibe. Let's go there. Um, and so you're here. You're in L.A. I know you have a wardrobe and stylist background. But how did you get there? I know you want to be a doctor, too. So, yes. like, what happened there? So, all... I think since I was five, I always wanted to be a doctor. I just knew I was going to be a pediatrician, and so I was on that route. Mm -hmm. I went to UCLA, and I was pre-med. I studied psychobiology, mm -hmm. and it was hard. I mean, it was, that's like the, the one thing. I'm like, it, I spent so much time studying and really working hard to excel in that school and I did I think I like came out and it's like okay that's great like I completed that 
but I convinced my parents to let me take one year off before applying to medical school. I was just like, I just need some time. That good old gap go year, channeling right that into before it. Malia did it, you did it. You did a gap year. Yes, and <laughs> I didn't even know that's what it was called. I just knew that I needed some time because I think I was just so overstimulated while, you know, just trying to graduate, just trying to get it all done and trying to do it while actually... Um, accomplishing, you know, really good grades, and I volunteered, and I did so much um, at UCLA that I just needed some time. Yeah, yeah, to figure out, like, what your real calling was, who you were. I think it takes a while to get to know yourself. What I love about being older is um, that self-awareness is at Mm -hmm. an all-time high, and then you can really focus on, like, your gifts and talents, right? Mm-hmm. So while I was going to UCLA, I worked at a small boutique in Venice called The Vanity Room. Mm. And the owner there let me do everything. So I was a sales associate, but she took me to her buying trips. She let me merchandise the store. Before Pinterest, I was creating like mood board books where, you but know. But a real one, like, almost like a vision board, but a mood yes, board. Like, like taking cutouts from the magazine, mm-hmm. giving customers inspiration about like what to wear, how to wear it. And I was like, oh, I love all of this. It was so much fun. And I took a, I, I love to learn. That's one of the things about me. I always like want to learn. So I took a fashion merchandising course at El Camino. And what is El Camino? El Camino is a community college. Oh, okay, cool. In the South Bay. Okay. And the professor there, she was like, hey, I have one more spot to, she also taught at Cal State Northridge. Okay. And she's like, I have one more spot for a fashion merchandising tour that's going to Europe. Would you like to come? And I was like, what? Yes. So I had never been out of the country and had always like wanted to. So this is the perfect excuse. So I quit my job to do so. They wouldn't Dang. give me two weeks off. So I was like, forget this. That is like, so I'm weird when you really think about two weeks and you have like a really nothing. good employee. You should try to retain that employee. Lesson for you kiddos out there. Yeah, um, they gave me basically like we're not going to bridges open anyway. We're not going to give you Shame on them. Off. And I was like, whatever, bye. <laughs> Peace. Deuces. And I went to Europe, and that was the first time, one, being out of the country, and two, really seeing fashion on that level. So we went on, we went to museums, we visited ateliers, we saw how fabric was made, we... Um, talked to like the owners at Colette. There was so much there. And Colette I was, was like, my everything. That yes. was that was like a bullet when they R.I.P. R.I.P. <laughs> Colette was like what everyone aspired to be. It's like, wait, you have come to Garcon and skateboards? What? What is the world coming to? Like sneakers, yeah. like the whole thing. And it's so funny, my first time going to Colette, there was a um N.E.R.D. album release. Oh, it was well, like my favorite band at the time. Well, me too. And yeah. I was like, this is meant to be. So I like fell in love with it even more. They had a listening station so you could hear the exactly. album. Exactly. I remember that. And mm-hmm. that, I was like, this is epic. This is my they favorite They had a band. cafe. I was like, I just got like Everything. amazing water. I mean, the, it was just the first, for me, the really impactful lifestyle mm-hmm. boutique slash you know, store. I mean, kind of Barney's was doing that, but... Yes, not at that level. I think that they really got the culture of Mm -hmm. 
what was happening in the world. Yeah, not I only mean Paris, not only LA, not New York, but it was like a blend of like all these places in one setting. I know Colette will do that to you. Yes. So now the imprint is on you. Yes. So I came back from my first fashion merchandising tour. I didn't have a job. I was kind of reaching out in all the realms and um, like nothing was coming up. So I remembered I had a friend of my family who we went to the same church and she brought me on to a stylist job when I was in college. I had no idea what I was doing or what like styling mm-hmm. was. I was just like running errands for her, doing things. And so I reached out to her like, hey, do you need an assistant? Like I'm free, I'm available. Um, just let me know. And so mm-hmm. she brought me on to a lot of styling jobs. And I was like, hey, I like this. Mm-hmm. I don't, you know, I was just learning so much. But she'd worked mostly within the commercial realm. So okay. it was just a lot of attention to detail, being on set, collaborating. Yeah. And that was really interesting to me. So from that, she introduced me to other stylists that might need assistance. And from there, I met a costume designer here in LA, Marco Marco, on a photo shoot, just Mm -hmm. through a mutual friend. And I guess he saw something within me because a few weeks later, I got a text. I was like, hey, do you want to go on tour for me? Now, I had no idea what that meant, but I was like, I don't know, but yes. (laughs) (laughs) And to find out, it was for Little Wayne, and he was making all of the costumes, and I would be dressing the band, dancers. Which is, this is like, he's hot, hot at this time. Yes. I mean, this is Little Wayne's first arena tour. Like, a Millie, all that good stuff. So it was like, he was at the top of his game and was Mm -hmm. like kind of coming into all of, like his first arena tour. Like he had, Mm -hmm. people didn't really know who he was until like that album. I mean, that was like mostly mainstream. Yeah. So I was just like, yes, to this experience. I had one never been like backstage. (laughs) I was like, okay, how are we gonna do this? Costume designing, (laughs) you know, it was so new, but I just dived right into it. And I think the one thing that's carried me through all these experiences is a great work ethic. So you don't really have to know what you're doing, but you learn along the way. Yeah, you have to go in the direction of, I'm gonna get it done, I'm gonna figure it mm -hmm. out. Yeah, and I did. And so from there, Little Wayne, Marco um, asked me to go on tour with the Black Eyed Peas and kind of do the same thing, but this time it was like more, um, had more involvement with styling, like mostly like Fergie, but the other Peas. And the other P's. The other P's, Will I am. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Taboo, you know, it was like I always say, like, like, like I was a Black Eyed Peas fan when they added Fergie, and I got kind of like, I was like, they didn't need Fergie, but you know, yes. they were like the super hip hop band, and then it, it, that it was like that's, that felt like like a marketing move a little bit. Yeah. But I, I'm a Fergie fan. I like her. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you listen to stuff now, I'm like, now I really appreciate Fergie yes. a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Now her, Gwen Stefani, all of that. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Yeah. That's fun. So much fun. I got to travel the world with these artists and go places I would have never thought. And mm-hmm. I think just from going to becoming, being a doctor, having that to this completely new experience, like I was just so open to receiving all of the Gotta be open, guys. Gotta you know? say it yes. It was like all so much fun. So 
Yes. I love that because, you know, becoming a doctor, going to medical school is so structured. And then you decide to kind of do what some people might say, not a plan, go wild, just let's figure it out, kind of roll through life. Things that parents don't like, especially parents of color. (laughs) You know, black parents are like, get get a real job, go get a degree, you know, because we've been, and and it's to to protect us, Mm -hmm. to support us and protect us and to guide us because they know, you know, it's going to be a little rough, a little rougher. Mm -hmm. but I love that. Yes. I love that you were like, yes, and yes, and I don't know what it is, but I'm going to work hard, and I'm going to do it. Yeah. Amazing. And that opened up so many opportunities just from one simple yes, because okay. that's how I built my um, career as a stylist was through referrals. I would work with one artist that would say like, hey, you got to meet this artist. And one manager would, you know, bring me on for his clients. People start start showing up and you have the referrals. Mm -hmm. Um, Now you are becoming an independent stylist. How was that transition for you? Because sometimes it's easy to be someone's number two or a great B to someone's A, but sometimes when you take it on you're like okay how do I run my business mm-hmm. how was that transition for you yes yeah, so while I was on tour it was great because I had that was like my job you mm-hmm. know I had like consistent income even though the tours you know you would work three months have two months off but I mm-hmm. always had like something in between there was always work with these clients in between whether it was like music videos photo shoots red carpets we always had work right and so once I decided to like quit both of those jobs because um, I was really looking for a lifestyle change I think going on tour is great but Not I was like getting older ever. and just like kind of wanting more in my life and just like that type of travel is it's very hard it's hard like physically it's hard on your relationships and so I was just like okay I want to be like in one place for a little bit and so my transition I would say I was like actually really lucky because once I like quit those jobs I still had work navigating freelance was a little bit tougher to like figure out what that business model is going to be because I like rented an office and I had like a client right away and you know there was always work but sometimes the work was like you are three months straight on set from commercials um, to like working with music artists and whatever realm I did a lot of creative direction as well and then there'd be nothing for two months. And so I was like, am I going to ever work again? So I really had to navigate that. No one ever, that's like, I feel like people don't talk about freelance and navigating, you know, how to manage. I mean, I think your money in a different way. People don't understand that even though celebrities are are around, that doesn't mean they're paying you. That doesn't mean like you can't pay the bills with fame, you know, and that, that feeling that you have. When you're around, that's Domino. When you are, when you're around someone, you know, really famous, it's like it's cool, but it wears off quickly. We need to get invoices mm-hmm. paid. Yeah, and I think sometimes a lot of them take advantage. I definitely was taken advantage of when I first got to LA, and I was kind of a late bloomer in the sense that I was already like 30 when I got to LA, mm-hmm. and um, you know, trying to style and run around and be a wardrobe stylist and stuff like that and I had all you know I'm grown grown so it's like no one's there's no moving home home is in Chicago um I, you have to get a job yes. 
Yes. That's what, happens, I, that's what happens when you're alive. Domino wants to talk too. That's okay. Yes. So navigating <laughs> that realm exactly. So um, something that people don't know about being a stylist is actually you have to front up a lot of money for the jobs. Mm-hmm. And whether that is buying the merchandise with your own money and you don't get that advancement right away to, you know, funding your own gas because, like, you don't get these things in advance unless you really negotiate for it. And a lot of it's just the way the production structure is within entertainment. And then it's not like a transaction. It's not like coming to a store and getting a service. You enter your credit card and it's like done. Yeah, you max you out your Neiman's and then you can return through. it. Yeah, you got to do you the fitting. Through, and then like, a lot of it gets... process. Sometimes all of it comes back. Yeah, if you're doing like studio services and you still have to, you know, like pay for that. But in just the production scheme, like it goes through an accountant. It might take like a month for you to get paid. Or three months. Or three months. Six months or never. Or (laughs) never. There was many checks. Nickelodeon. Don't come. Run my check, Nickelodeon. Yes. Um, (laughs) But yeah, it'll never come. Um... Yeah, it's just a rough life when you're like, okay, you're getting older, you want stability, um, or I, I mean, I love those people who end up getting like, like a Monica Rose gets really great clients and are able to just sustain mm-hmm. because they have like Kardashians, they right? Growing, yeah, yes. and the Kardashians are growing, so she's growing with yeah. them, you know, and uh, you know, good for her. She's got like a huge studio and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so now you're kind of. You're trying to get out of styling. When does the sustainable part come in? I know around 2013, you were like, you had an awakening. You know, that's like a really great, like, segue to how I got to Gallery LA was because I wanted a job. Like, I personally was like, okay, (laughs) like, I'm doing all of this. And it was really great. Like, I love what I was doing. But there comes a time, I think, like, for me where I had, like, all my... I just was like spent my energy with so many different ways. So I actually wanted a job. Like I wanted to go to one place where I could still be the style director mm-hmm. um, and have like a bigger responsibility. And so that's where sustainability kind of came in. And I interviewed at like different places. A lot of them were not sustainable, but there was one company that I had this great interview process with. I was like, okay, this is it. They would be like such a great match for me. Mm -hmm. And I went through this very long interview process with this company, didn't get hired. Three weeks later, they asked me for, because you have to do these assignments. And Mm -hmm. so I produced a photo shoot. They asked me for the model that I use and they wanted to use her. For They're their... asking for a lot. This is really intense. Yeah, so this is after, like, you don't get hired, but they want, still want, like, more. And they asked me for the model that I used, and I was like, okay. That was kind of like, you know, drawing mm. the line. Okay, I'm going to give you her information because she did this, and I want her to work. But this is how, like, this is what I do for a living. And so, like, three weeks after that, I saw that their whole website had changed, and one of the things that we submitted was a mood board colors, um, specific products, just different things. And it was such a big change. And I was just like, whoa, 
okay, that is like, this is not acceptable. I met a woman at the same time at a volunteer event. She went through the same exact experience with the same company, but for a different role. And we were like, this can't be happening. This is not how companies should operate. EEOC, pick up the phone, make a call. Yes, and we were just kind of like, what? And so, you know, I challenge people to like what that like anger brings up. For us, it was like, well, F that, we're going to create something on our own. Mm-hmm. And so we really challenge that You can't curse on this show, but I know you're, you're probably creativity. more anointed than me, but yeah, you could curse on know, the show. So. You could curse on my show. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But we were just, yeah, like, okay, we're going to do our own thing. And she was here from Switzerland and she just had time. I had a lot of time as well. And we just, you know, like brought all of our ideas together. I really wanted to create a fashion line and she was a sustainability um, director and also had that's what she went to school for so it was like how do we blend these things what's missing and that's how Galleria Lake came about was because there was no there was a lot of brands but you couldn't find them the it, Actually, it the was quality, such a dig, style, right? All of that. I was like, I don't want to wear this. This is not what I would bring to my clients. So we did a lot of research. I did probably like six months of research, um, finding brands all over the world, building my spreadsheet, decoding their message about sustainability. What exactly like did that mean? Were these brands transparent? Were they working with artisans? Like, what were they doing? that was good for people and good for the planet. And right, that's really right. kind of how I took, that was my take on sustainability. Yeah. And that's how Gallery LA was born out of, you know, very like kind of what I call a like horrific experience to um, just like channel that into, you know, something creative and new that didn't exist and really fitting a market need. Yeah, it's like what, when things don't work out, you just have to ask yourself, what did you learn, mm-hmm. right? What was the takeaway? Um, I've even had to, like, sue brands and stuff like that. Mm. So, you know, it, it, it's it's always some sort of weird blessing. I yeah. know that sounds corny, but it's true. Yeah. And um, the thing with sustainable, you're right, it's like the first sustainable brand I started wearing just because... I'm not gonna wear no like hemp hoodie, you know, it's just not my mm-hmm. thing. Um, was probably Stella, Stella McCartney. Yes. We got, she's Stella McCartney. Yeah. You know, Paul McCartney's her dad, you know, I think she's under the Caring group yes. or, or LVMH, I don't remember, I think mm-hmm. it's Caring um, group umbrella. And so that you have a lot of funding for yes. that, right? To make it look as slick as possible, as fashion forward as possible, mm-hmm. while, you know, dipping your toe in sustainability and not all of it is sustainable, right? So a lot of people, put eco-friendly or fair trade or sustainable on their product then it's not one well, they're not keeping it 100 right yes of course there's so much greenwashing out there um you know Stella McCartney was actually the first luxury brand to be using I don't know if she was using sustainability then but it was definitely like promoting vegan fabrics mm-hmm. promoting environmentally friendly practices and kind of like going that route right now she is like you know pushing that sustainability movement forward Uh, but she was like kind of the only one that you could look to and say like okay well this is a brand that's successful in this realm and you know from that she was a big I guess you know influence in the industry because 
a lot of brands and you like mentioned greenwashing because there was a demand for this and maybe they look to Stella McCartney, but a lot of bigger brands, H&M, ASO, Zara, Forever, yes, 21, Forever 21, Wet Seal. But um, yeah, you see these brands coming out with their conscious collections. But they're the worst offenders. And I don't fool fast fashion at all, so you don't even they, have to. You know, they say they're conscious, but maybe it's the materials, but they're still like producing, there's still like no transparency around where they're producing their clothes. Um, Zara got called out for mm. not paying their workers in the factory. Like they so the workers so tags. It's like this is slave labor just to have have people wake up. So I don't think that you can call a garment sustainable if it's not ethically made in addition to the environmental impact. Right, right. Um, and I think every generation is more woke to these issues right they say more than ever like not even millennials but like the generation after millennials you know over half of them are concerned about the earth the environment and concerned about where does this come from a cup a dress a rug it doesn't matter like how is it made where does it come from I think people in fashion get it and um you have to have an invested interest Like, this is made in Italy. You know, people are like, well, why are Golden Goose sneakers so much money? You know, well, a cobbler is making them by hand in Italy. And probably they're going to last, you know, beyond six months. You know, they charge so much for, like, like a Yeezy, no offense to yay, but, like, something like a a Nike that's made with, you know, slave to semi-slave labor in Vietnam or whatever, the Philippines. And it's not even, like, going to last, you know? And so... As bougie as like shopping luxury is, most of the time people buying luxury are collecting and I have stuff that I've had for over, literally over 20 years. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I worked at Bendel's in like the 90s, aging myself, but like back, way back on, you know, Michigan Avenue in, in Chicago and have pieces from then, mm-hmm. you know, and um, that's a part of sustainability too, is like, not this like wear a shirt three times and then throw it in a garbage and it ends up in landfill. That's an issue too. So either you can shop sustainably or you can investment shop either way. Let's let's like keep it out the garbage, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. I mean, if you're not even thinking about sustainability and that's not even on your radar, one thing that you could do is just become a conscious consumer. And we've been taught in the U.S. so much just to consume, consume, consume. Mm -hmm. I want to be successful so I can have more space so I can fill that space with more things. And that is a problem there, you know? So even before going to buy something, just ask yourself, like, do I need this? Am I going to wear it for 10, 20 years to come? Or is it just something that's going to fill this fix that I need? Because once you, like, get something on sale on whatever, endorphins kind of go off. And it's like, that is the shopping experience. It's okay. Um, but it's... Um it's temporary, right? So that's even like they're saying like the high you get from buying it. And then that's why so many women return. So even when I was on commission and I would sell to these women at, especially with, I, I, the higher the ticket, the more nervous I would get because I'm like, she's about to buy all this stuff, get high, <laughs> go home, 
come back or even wear it, come back and like be out of love in four days and return it. And I'm, you know, I'm in the rears and no bills are paid. Um, I, I would really, um, that really got on my nerves. And that's where I got into boutiques because you yeah. can have a very, very strict, you know, return mm-hmm. policy. Um, there are many reasons why you're my hero. There are two reasons, but... Um, or Shiro, as they call it. I don't know why they had to put she on everything, by the way, just to segue. It's like, she No, she's a CEO. She doesn't have to be a girl boss or she It doesn't oh have to gosh, be so yes. genderized. You this. just the boss. Yeah. You're just the CEO. You know, it's, it's like, it. I don't know, it's almost like a weird dig well, because at women. We, uh, this is like a big part of like this patriotic society that we live in. And we've been brainwashed as women to think that we must like mold into this society but i think because there is such a like we're realizing all this stuff now Mm -hmm. it's like oh i need to have like my own and it's like no like we it's like all the same thing so whether i'm a shiro or a hero whatever it's like it's all the same thing like Mm -hmm. what you're owning are these characteristics and that's okay you know yeah, and then even like the like girl CEO, all all of these things. Like, I'm not a girl, I'm a woman, you know. And uh, I don't know, just some of it is just kind of kind of weird. It's like most women who are CEOs are probably a lot older, you know. They're not girl bosses or girl CEOs or whatever. No friends. No, I, I like Sophia Amoroso, but you know, yeah. I'm just saying. Um, so, Gallery LA is a brand and a store. Yes. Okay, so tell me about that. So Having a brand and a store because you know. You're doing the Everlane thing. You're doing a Reformation thing where you also have a brand in the store. Yes. The brand, I would say, is, like, still coming. But, like, what that brand message is, is, like, shop your values. And so when you come into Gallery LA, we curate all sustainable brands. But it feels like one brand. Like, when people come into the store, Mm -hmm. it's always like, oh, like, I can mix and match these things it doesn't feel like everything is so different from each other and I really work that way on curating brands where you can wear them together and same thing it's going to be in your closet you can find easy ways to style them and that it doesn't have to feel like oh I'm buying like this brand I'm feeding into like this style or it just feels like one thing and I this year will be like developing our own like mini congratulations of pieces. I'm still like I'm not finding exactly what I want, and that was always like kind of the vision there. Um, and then the store, we are both online, and then we have the store here at Row DTLA, our ethical concept store. Okay, cool. And then how long have you been here? A few years now. Two years. Two years. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. And then. Outside of the sustainable thing, um, having a store, it, it's, it's a precarious time to have a retail yes. store. I mean, stores are closing. Victoria's Secret's about to be out. They said 2019 was a record year for retail closings. Yeah. So, like, Barney's, that was, again, like a bullet. I mean, it Barney's, hurt. Barney's, opening ceremony, like all opening these stores. Opening ceremony. Like, no. I mean, it's just getting, I, I, and, and then it's so weird that LVMH, they've made more money than they ever had. They had a record year, billions of dollars. So what is, in your opinion, I spend a lot of time thinking about it. In your opinion, what is going on? Is there a future for the brick and mortar, is there not a future? How do you have to have a direct to consumer brand within that store? What is like, 
you know, the good juju, the good recipe for mm-hmm. making it in, in retail and fashion yeah, right now. you know, I must say that I'm not 100% sure and it actually feels very, like I'm watching the industry change mm-hmm. very fast. And so when it comes to retail, I think that people are just sick of the same shit. Mm-hmm. And that's why Victoria's Secret, Forever 21, JCPenney, Sears, like all these stores are closing because they have nothing special to offer. And you can get the same stuff that they're selling online for cheaper or the same price, you know? So there are people that just want the convenience. So they're shopping on Amazon and that affects the amount of time they're gonna spend in these retail spaces. Which by the way, think I think it sucks. You shop from Amazon and they use plastic and boxes to deliver like a toothbrush holder. I got this huge box for like my toothbrush heads for my Sonicare or whatever, and it was like a waste and I had to break down the yeah. box. I try to keep them because I, I do a little selling online myself, but um, to reuse the boxes, mm-hmm. but I'm like, wait a minute, this is like convenience. Yeah. Now we're making more garbage. Like I thought the point was like to make less, like this, yeah. it seems like we're you going- Because you can just go to the, or I say- or You can go to the store and just store. carry the dress yeah. in, your, in yeah. your hand. And, and you exactly. know what I'm saying? So, um, yeah, that was that was weird. You're right. It's like like when I was managing at Hugo Boss, they would fly in from Germany and do this walkthrough and they would ask our opinion, then none of those opinions would be implemented, right? Mm-hmm. They they want to ask younger people, you know, what should we do? How do we make it more experiential? Um, what are you saying? Blah blah blah. And and it's like, well, <laughs> This is the way Hugo Boss has looked for like the last 15 years. You know, you yeah. need to like switch mm-hmm. it up. And now it's the MCM. Anyway, <laughs> but um, there needs to be innovation. And that's kind of the yes. other problem with retail is that there is not innovation. Mm-hmm. And from these stores, it's like the same experience. I don't think people want that anymore. And so I would. On the mannequin and da da da. It's just yeah. boring. It's like, okay. Like, we have seen this for so long. So, and also people are changing. I think that people are becoming more conscious consumers. They want to know where their things are coming from. They want to know, can I do good with this purchase? And, you know, for me, that's why a retail space works is because the customer that I want to acquire online is specifically searching for sustainability, whereas being in a high foot, tra- high foot traffic place, whether you're thinking about sustainability or not, there's probably something for everyone where they can buy and then their eyes and ears are open like, oh, I didn't even think about this. Like, oh, like denim uses this much water to make. This brand uses this type of eco-friendly material. I've never thought of that. This is made in LA. I want to support my local economy. Which is why I like Levi's. I went to Miami and Levi's had a pop-up and and they showed exactly how they're recycling their denim, um, Mm -hmm. how they're trying to be more responsible. And Levi's has been around for 100 years and and it's like so many brands that have been around for over 100 years have had to close. I mean, Barney's just hit the 100 mark when they closed. That was sad. And and these... Right. So these... CEOs, I think a lot of them are like, no offense, like older, like older guys, 70 yeah, or whatever. They're, old, they're white. <laughs> they're old, rich. <laughs> old white, rich white men. Right, right, right. So, you know, stupid white men like that Michael Moore book. But like, um, not to harp on like like that, but I want to I get into that a little bit with you too. 
is as a black person, two, two things, two things, um, um, black people, it feels like in general, the black community in America does not care about the environment. Do you, Mm. do you get that vibe? You know, I get this question a lot. And actually, when I was starting Gallery LA as a black woman, I think that like white men are like, oh, she can only sell to like black people because <laughs> she's black. It's like, oh, oh, that's black so goofy. That's so goofy. Um, care about the environment. So what I must say is that I don't think that that's the case. I don't um, either, there but let's like, dispel that. growing number of black businesses that are actually like focused on um environmental practices um but like what i must say within that like just the consumerism maybe it's not that like black people don't care but the products that we're being offered don't represent that either so if we're looking at numbers of like black people don't care this is what they're consuming because this is what the offering is when i go into target I mean, now it's changing, but before there was like no environmentally friendly brands. Now there's like more of that. But so like just thinking about like communities of color, like where they are, what's accessible. These are the products. And what can they afford? And what can they afford? And it's just like, this is what the product offering. So I often think we're looking at like the numbers from like what people are buying and letting that be um, a statistic for what people care about and I don't think that that's the truth I meet more and more people of color that are like oh I I want to eat this way but I don't have any markets in my neighborhood it's a food desert it's a food desert or like like, I can't get organic because there's like I don't we don't even have like a grocery store so I just think that it's like we can't let what is offered, say, for, like, what people care about. Because I don't think that that's I just think it's just all. super elitist to say, like, oh, you know, poor people or people of color, these communities don't care about the environment, you know, when you can afford to eat clean, excuse me, and, and drive Teslas. Like, poor people can't do that. Yeah. You know what I mean? So don't, like, the wealthier people are able to create more trash create more impact they have a bigger carbon footprint but at the same time judging people who could never even afford that mm-hmm. lifestyle yeah. for not being sustainable yeah i always say this I'm is like, a conversation this is, this is so that, goofy you know we actually if you have if you have like money to be a consumer and this is also another myth that i want to dispel is that like um black people are not like consumers you know it's like like the black community, it like has like a dollar amount that they are spending, you know? It's mm-hmm. like they are like we, you know, have the money. And so it's just like, what is the offering? But also, if you are privileged enough to be able to buy the organic, to get the Tesla, to, you know, have all of these things, you should do so. And what I mean by that is like the corporations mirror what that 
consumption is. Yes, they would and have so, to bend to your demand. You know, someone asked me on a panel on Monday, should we be convincing people like about this lifestyle? And it's like, there's no convincing, but the same people that are shopping at 99 cent store now have organic options because there's a whole food next door. And like what that means, there's enough demand for people that are buying this that, you know, like other stores are like seeing, okay, we should offer this as well. And there's enough like overflow of this where they can offer it. You know, there's a huge surge right now of all the fast food restaurants offering Beyond Meat. There was such a big demand for vegan options that they introduced this. That's what fast I'm saying. Food. So if we That's start to your put dollar our dollar so much power. Places, it matters, and that's how you're going to make it accessible. I mean, that's what happened with the Civil Rights Movement, you know what I'm saying? It is Black History Month. When we took that dollar away from buses, they felt that. And they were like, you know what? Let's integrate. Let's integrate. <laughs> we want those black dollars. Yes. Exactly. Yes. And so um, you can do that today. Yeah. All it's, of us. Everyone. All, can. all consumers. You know, if, you have, if you have the ability to think about what it is before you buy it, then you must do so. And I really mean that because that is how we're, that's the only way we're going to affect change. And this is because it's a business, like these are businesses. So if the only thing they want to do a business is make money, Mm -hmm. very few businesses care about like people and planet. Most are like profit. So the more we take our money from these businesses, that lessens their profit. And then they're going to say like, hey, where, where are people shopping? Why are they not buying our stuff? Mm-hmm, and then they're mm-hmm. going to, one, go out of business, or two, start to integrate the products that you're buying other places. Yeah, I, I just always wonder like how much people are listening, you know, like they present it. These businesses all have to listen to consumers. Like Victoria's Secret has so many opportunities to put, you know, body positive models on the runway and like trans models on the runway. And, you know, the thing with art and fashion, if it feels uncomfortable, you should probably do it. Because you're probably ahead, right? And the fact is like, oh, you'll never see, you'll never see a trans model. And now they, late in the game, have trans models Mm -hmm. for Victoria's Secret. It's like, well, now it's a little late, right? Um... I feel like when I'm on the Instagram, I see all of the more like famous or influential black women wearing Fashion Nova. And, <laughs> and I can't stand it. And, and I just feel like it's just becoming bigger and bigger and growing and growing. There's if they have the money to choose better and to do better, why is this a thing? Like, I, I, I have no interest in, in Fashion Nova. It's not even a black business. And so the biggest reason I would love your thoughts on it. That is because Fashion Nova is paying these women to wear their things and they're giving them their clothes. That's fair. For free. So I work with the artist. Every Fashion Nova post that she did, she was making $5,000. Okay. That's a revenue stream, right? Like, mm-hmm. hey, um, Fashion Nova just got called out for paying their workers in LA like less than $4 an hour. Unreal. Unreal. And modern day slavery. Modern day slavery. You cannot make a living off of that. I can't participate in it. And you know, the people who are mostly making things are women. 
Yes. I feel like it's, you know, woman on woman crime. Oh yeah. It's like if you're <laughs> like, a feminist, like are you buying fast fashion? Because eighty-eight percent of the garment industry workers are women all around the world. Most of them are not making a living wage in whatever city or country that they're in. They have kids, they have families, and they don't see them. They I see are... all that. I see the whole story. So... I see her going to work and then trying to stretch those dollars. I see her breathing in toxic fumes. I see that in my mind, and I just think like online. I love online. It's a, it's a love hate with the with the smartphones in the sense that. People aren't thinking. They aren't thinking. It's like less thought, just quick, 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 quick. They say the attention span used to be like 10 minutes. Now it's three minutes and it's going down. Yes. Every day. Just just the average attention span of a human being. Just like on Instagram, we are all influencers. So whether or not you're just like, I'm a regular person or I'm a celebrity, you're selling something. Mm -hmm. You are influencing people. So all those scrolls, like that is like dopamine going off. Your brain is getting stimulating. The lights. Like... (laughs) You are getting like stimulated. Your nervous system is stimulated from all of these things. So it's eliciting a response from you. And so that just makes us be like, oh, well, I saw this. Now it followed me to my desktop and in my email. I can buy it through marketing. So we're all like consuming things that we don't need at all or probably even want. (laughs) Um, I'm going to ask you two questions. I know you have a day. To, to pick up. I could talk to you about this stuff all day. I wanted to ask you, um, I've had every job, like a Jamaican, the, the butcher, the baker, the candlestick maker, and many of it in retail and fashion, uh-huh. and I have never had, I've only once had like one black female manager. Mm-hmm. Most of my managers were white. Most of these businesses were owned by white women or white adjacent women, like Asian women or Persian women, or, you know, never have I worked in for a boutique for a black woman, never have I worked in a boutique and been promoted to GM. I had to move around to do that and I felt some glass ceiling and I also felt marginalized a lot of times even though I know my fashion history, I have a degree in journalism with a a concentration in French, you know, but I would have owners that would go to Europe and not take me with them, that type of stuff. Are you seeing more black women doing this business either just online, designing their own clothes, and also opening. Do you see more black female shop owners? No. You don't. I don't. Dang. I, maybe, Damn. Maybe like it's on, another bullet. Maybe it's online, <laughs> but I don't see it in, um, phys- not in LA. Like, I, I just don't see it, and I am, like, intentionally kind of, like, looking around more and more for it. I don't see it. I think I'm going to um, become your business mate. I think I should do it. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, online, I feel like, oh, I, like, see these, like, women that are like you know building these businesses but like in physical spaces like I actually don't see that and there probably is a reason for that um to operate a physical space it it just takes a lot more than it does for online and I think most businesses if you're like in a physical space you have to do more um and I mean I've had the same experience as you I don't think that I've ever worked for another black woman um as a stylist maybe like as an assistant i think there's more space in styling for black women to thrive because of black entertainers yeah we are they they, we're entertainers Mm -hmm. but yeah like (laughs) you know in like the retail spaces that i've been in no 
and entering a conversation around um, sustainability, whether like whatever you're in, there's not a lot. Like I just have to say like that number is so small and a lot of these are small businesses. Like I'm a small business and like I make it a point like when I'm hiring that I'm like kind of looking to bring in um, women of color. Like that is so important to me because I think that there needs to be more voices within this space. And there are a lot of people that are interested, but they don't have the opportunity. Like when I went to the company that I was telling you about, I looked around and I was like, oof, only like still, women of color are the Still so much tokenism. And then, so. you know, being off of Rodeo and it is what it is, you know, I remember wanting to level up and like work at Hermes or Chanel or something. They're like, oh, you know, they don't hire black people at Chanel. Yeah. And having like black people tell me that, wow. it, 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 it just is wrong. It, it just felt so wrong, you know, but it was true. You go and Chanel, you're like, hmm, I don't, or going on interviews and, um, you, it's a feeling, and I know they thought that from my resume that they thought I was white mm-hmm. because of the things I've done. And my name is Nicole yeah. Briggs, and they really can't tell in the show. They're like, "Oh, oh, you're Nicole." I've had to like stutter, <laughs> like, "Oh, oh, you're Nicole Briggs," and I'm like, "Surprise!" Yeah. You know, yeah. I'm black. Um, and them, we'll call you. You know, mm-hmm. so you, that's another show. I, I I love what you're doing. You're Thank doing so, you much, so much more. You're, you're doing something bigger than even it seems. Mm-hmm. And I have one last question for yeah. you. How do you start your day? How do I start my day? Um, so <laughs> usually it's like waking up. I got to take Domino out. Mm-hmm. Um, but like we have become, we start to like walk on the beach now. I try to do it. You're still in Venice. Business. Yeah, I live in Venice. Oh, this is a trek. So I, I try to... Um, like walk on the beach like at least 20 minutes um Healthy. I you know like feed him feed myself I try to get in like 30 minutes of at least meditation stretching like just doing something to get my body going self-care it's not all self-care. spas guys sometimes it's, it's just a walk spa. yeah oh my gosh like sometimes I'm like that's all I have time for is like you know to walk domino like try to do a walking meditation because you know I don't have time for that but yeah, I, I just try to mornings, like even before I got Domino, we're like all about that, like being very intentional about my day and taking that time for myself. Because once you do like have a business, there's just so much to think about. You know, it's like I have a small business. I'm like, oh, it's always like a long list of things to do. It's a long list of decision making. It's a long list just of how to operate, always brainstorming, how to grow, how to, you know, like move it forward. So I just really try to take that morning time for myself just to be very intentional. Like I'm going to start my day. We're going to, it's going to be a day filled with inspiration. It's going to be a day filled with adventure. How can I be a service just to like really let that sit in? Be of service. What can you give? Not what you can get all the time my few listeners um i thank you thank you thank you so much i'm so i feel so grateful to have this conversation with you um i feel like there's so much more room for women starting businesses like this and supporting each other mm-hmm. and there's so much more spaces the good news is that it's growing everyone's getting wide like wiser to 
what's needed in the industry and the support that we all need. So um, thank you so thank much. Thank you for having the conversation and having me. Yeah, and ladies, if you want to be more sustainable, you can start with Gallery LA as well curated. Um, this lady knows what she's talking about. Dechelle McKillian. Um, do what you can because you can. And on that note, as always, till next time, I will say peace.